podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor John Andrade is preaching through Daniel chapter 8, and the sermon title is His Word is Truth. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Lord God, we worship you. Um, God, we thank you for your word, which is lifted up above our lives, God. We thank you for the truth that is found in your word. And God, I ask that you speak to us today. That by the power of your spirit, you would impart these things to our heart. You have us in Daniel chapter 8, in your glorious word. And you could have us anywhere, but Lord, you have us here. And so we ask that you would have this passage just wash over us, Lord. That you would teach us things. Um, teach us new things so that we might better worship you and stand as um, ambassadors of the gospel in the world, but also remind us of things that we've learned before. God, things that um, maybe our hearts, as they grow harder, um, we forget them and forget to be applying them. So God, I ask that you would please teach us those things as well. Um, We need many reminders, Lord. But open your word to us, God. I pray that you'd minister to every single heart here, um, whether there's anybody here who's overwhelmed in life, God, who is joyous in their lives, um, searching, unbelieving, um, walking in rebellion, even though they know you, Lord, but their hearts have just been gripped by sin. Whatever the state um, that believers are in in this place, I pray that you'd minister, um, that you'd tear down strongholds, that you would minister to our hearts, which can easily grow so cold. Um, God, remind us of your grandeur. Remind us of your holiness. Father, we love you. Take us back to the day when we first met Christ and just help us to be lavished in your love. Um, Let your word wash over us, Father. We praise you, God. We thank you for this assembly. We thank you for what you're doing in this church. Just pour out your spirit mightily on us as we open your word. We look to you. All eyes are on you, O Lord. And we give you praise and honor and glory. And we pray by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we just had read for us, we're in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8, as we just read, is obviously a lot of visions, a lot of prophecy, a lot of imagery, interpretations, an angel or two, a ram, a goat. And we got to try to make some sense of this. And I just pray that we can do that today. And it's going to be awesome to just kind of walk through this passage with you and let the word of God, as we pray, just kind of wash over us. Um, Some of you, after just coming off of Daniel 7, we were in Daniel 7 for about six weeks and we were breaking down a lot of stuff that some of you might see is kind of weighty, talking about the Antichrist, talking about the rapture. Is there a rapture? When is the rapture? How does that look? How does that shake down? Eschatology, end times, and these types of things which this book is filled with. A lot of prophecy, a lot of imagery. Um, And you might be thinking, man, now Daniel chapter 8 doesn't sound like I'm out of the woods yet. I have have good news and bad news for you. Um, And the bad news is really good news too. Um, But 
the bad news, if you want to call it that, is the rest of the book of Daniel is going to be heavy in prophecy, heavy in imagery, a lot of things that take you to a place that when you're reading your word, you don't often go to. There is a, a, a section of this book, it's the second half of this book, that is backloaded with prophecy. The first six chapters, there's a lot of narrative. We follow the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as Israel is brought into Babylonian captivity, but there's a lot of narrative that you can go with, but now all of a sudden, chapter 7, there's it's just a lot of prophecy. Um, and it's going to be really great, but I pray that those of you who might be feeling overwhelmed in this would really hold on tight and to see what the Lord would have for you because this too is the word of the Lord. This is prophecy. And there are some, though, I want to say this about the book of Daniel, who always go right to the prophecy, but they want to skip kind of the first six chapters. But the first six chapters are really about obedience, really about following God in any and all circumstances. And you can't get to the prophecy, you can't get to all this stuff, the miraculous and the majestic, until you actually live a life that is in obedience with Christ. And so I pray that as we recap the book, you remember the first six chapters are a book are chapters that tell us we got to live a life for Christ. While we are in exile here in this world, we need to serve our king, be about the king's business, and focus on him, keep our eyes on him. But now the Lord does have for us a lot of prophecy, a lot of imagery, uh, visions and interpretations, and so I pray that we cling to this. So I want to give you what I think might be something helpful for some of you who might be feeling overwhelmed, and I just want to remind us quickly of some of the themes of the book of Daniel. If you are ever feeling lost in the book of Daniel as we go pretty deep, you can always come back to these themes and say, all right, I can take that home with me. Even if some of the stuff, eschatology, end times, where are we in the timeline of things, all of this stuff, you can always come back to these things. And so no matter what is preached here, we're always, I'm going to give you the themes that we can come back to. And I just want to walk through a few of them. There's many, but I just want to give you these ones to start. First is that God is king over all of history. And I want you to just like resonate with that. God is king over all of history. Nations will rise, nations will fall, but God stands eternal. God stands eternal, and there are so many things that always try to captivate our attention in this life, things that we look to, the state of the, the nation that we live in, Supreme Court rulings, the protests in the midst of all of it. God is sovereign over all of it. There's coming a day when all of those things will be forgotten. But God will stand eternal. And so I just want to remind you that God is sovereign over all of history. And the one that you ought to put your trust in and hope in is the one who will last for all time. Nations rise, nations fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever and ever and ever. And so I want to remind you to look to him. That's a big theme in the book of Daniel. Um, second theme I want to bring up is obeying God will bring you persecution. Obeying God brings persecution. And we've seen that already. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. We see Daniel thrown into the lion's den. There is something about when we hold up the truth of God in a very dark world that hates the truth of God, we are to expect resistance. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. We as Christians, we go and shine the light into, of, of Christ into the world, but we experience, we should even anticipate and expect persecutions to some degree or another in our lives. And if you are experiencing those in any way, shape, or form, I want to encourage you that don't see this as, a, as some sort of a strange thing. This is what they did to the prophets. This is what they did to our Lord. Stand firm, please. I pray that the church of God, if more persecution comes, I pray that we're ready. 
Amen. I pray that we're ready. We sang about, you know, uh, letting the sound from the citadels and the, you know, lofty cathedrals, but also to the faithful gathered underground. Pray for the persecuted church because one day that may be us, but we may, may we stand. May we stand firm and not get toppled over. Second or third thing, uh, false gods and idols are in the world. There is a mindset of Christians today that everything is permissible. doesn't matter what God you worship as long as your heart is really sincere. God just sees your heart. As long as you're just really doing it because you believe it, there's idols in the world that God speaks against. Turn from those things. Turn from those things. And some of you living in your lives, you might say, well, I don't see a 90-foot golden statue like we saw in Daniel chapter 2, so I'm all right with idols. Our idols still exist. They might just look a little bit different. Money, sex, entertainment, gaming, popularity, fame, notoriety, all sorts of things can become an idol and all of a sudden, next thing you know, your attention and your affection is no longer wholly captivated by the Lord. Instead, you are bowing down in one way, shape, or form to something else. And so we call you to repent. We call the church of God to constantly repent, to turn from idols. This is a big theme in the book of Daniel. Something else you can cling to is that the world, this world is not our home. Um, we see this in the book of Daniel. Daniel in exile. And we sing while we are in Babylon. We don't just, you know, call it quits and say, hey, there's nothing left we can do. But at the end of the day, this is not our home. We don't put down our roots here as though this is where we just ho hope to live forever. We remember that our citizenship, as Paul says in Philippians 3, is in heaven. As Peter says to the people he was writing to in 1 Peter, he says, you are strangers, you are aliens in a foreign land. This place is not your home. We are here. We need to be impactful. We need to shine the light of Christ. We need to pray for our nation. But at the end of the day, we also remember this place is not our home. I am expectantly, eagerly awaiting the new heavens, the new earth. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the last thing I just want us to remember, there's many more I could have listed, but I just wanted to give you a few in case any of you are lost that you can always come back to and cling to these as we go to some of the deeper things. You can always come back to these. But that God knows the end from the beginning. God knows the end from the beginning. There's nothing outside of the scope of what God knows. He knows it all. He knows it all intimately. And this is going to be pretty much, I think, the theme that we're going to really try to ride on in this message today for Daniel chapter 8, is that God knows the end from the beginning. God knows it all, and when he speaks, it's true. Whether it's about the past, whether it's about the present, whether it's about the future, God speaks, and it's true, always true. And so if God is reminding us of something that happened, it's true. If God's speaking into your life today about something that is happening in your life, it's true. If God's telling you something that is yet to come, it is true. God speaks and it is always true. And so I want to admit that some of what we're going to talk about today might feel a little bit like a history lesson. There's going to be a little section of the message that's going to feel a little bit like a history lesson because we're talking about historical things in the book of Daniel. And some of you are like, maybe especially the students here, like, I just got done with school. I don't like history. I slept through history. Public schoolers passing love notes through your history class while your history teacher is trying, maybe, uh, probably not homeschoolers, but co-op, co-op. I'm not going to say any more. Um, but I want you to be reminded that though history might not be your favorite, we're in church. And this is going to be, and I pray that it will be exciting for you, that history really is his story, God's story. It's his story. Depending on how woke you are, you might say, well, history or herstory. Amen. A woman. No. 
reject that. But what we are, this is not about man and woman. This is about God Almighty. He is seated on the throne, and this is His story. The events of human history are really the events of God's history. God's history. This is His story. He knows it all intimately and precisely. He knows how many hairs are on your head to the most minute detail. He knows the uprisings and the fallings of nations. He knows the greatest things to the smallest things. He knows how many stars there are, and He knows them all by name. God speaks, and it comes to pass. So, I just want to kind of, in the intro of this, just tell you what I'm going to tell you. Um, What I'm going to be preaching on, if you want to take notes, or you can just have some hooks to hang your thoughts on. What I want to reinforce today, first, is I want to fortify your trust in the Word of God. Trust in the truth of the Word of God. The world is always trying to assail and attack the truth and the accuracy and the validity of the Word of God. And I just want to try to just basically reinforce your trust in the Word of God. In a world that we live in that's constantly in a barrage against the Word of God, trying to tear down the truth, I want you to know that the Word of God is true. You can build your life upon it. Our generation is no different. Then every other generation that has been in the past, Satan always attacking the truth of God, but the truth of God still stands. It always stands, and it's going to stand, and it will continue to stand, and I pray that you would build your life on it and cling to it because it is our life. The Word of God is true and true and true indeed. God has spoken. Second thing I want to remind you of or encourage you about is I want to embolden you to speak God's truth into the world. Not just believe the truth but also to go to the next step and to speak it into the world. Many of you live, live in different contexts, have different circles of influence and spheres and all of those things. I want you to speak the truth of God. I want you to not only believe it, but I want you to speak it. Because if we do believe it, I hope that we all speak it because these are the precious things of God, the truth of God, which is essential to our souls, essential to our salvation, and I just pray that you would speak into a dark world that so desperately needs it, and even though people might hate it, I want you to speak it. And the last thing that I really hope to drive home today, amongst other things, is that I want you to look forward to the fulfillment of God's truth in eternity. We believe God has spoken about the past. We believe he's speaking into my life right now, but we have a whole amazing blessed hope that we look forward to in our future that is amazing. And if we know it's true, I pray that it would just resonate in our hearts, that we'd be reminded of the glorious truth that God has spoken about, the eternal things for all those who believe in Jesus Christ and walk according to his word. Amen? So, we're going to jump into the scriptures. That's just like a little by way of introduction. Um, We just had the whole thing read for us. What we're going to do is we're just going to kind of go piece by piece, a few verses at a time, and just take different sections, and then by the end we'll have gone through the whole chapter twice. Asia read it, and now we'll go through it again, and I'll preach through it. But we'll look at verses 1 through 4, and it says this, In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam, and I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside Uli, the Uli Canal. Then I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns and was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last, 
I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward, and no beasts could stand before him, nor was there anyone who could rescue from his power, but he did as he pleased, and he magnified himself. So the first thing I just want us to take note of is that this is in the year of the king Belshazzar, right at the end of the Babylonian Empire, and this is kind of where the history lesson might come in. Don't tune out. And I want to give you a date, more history stuff, but 550 BC, right around that time, and I might even ask you guys later, somebody to shout out that date. 550 BC is about the time when the Babylonian Empire came to a close and Belshazzar, the final king of the Babylonian Empire. Um, this is when Daniel's writing. It'll come into play later. It might not seem anything to you now, and I hope it's going to be really a blessing to you later. So 550 BC, remember that for later. So what's up with this ram? I want to show you a picture of maybe something of what Daniel saw, an artist's depiction of what Daniel saw, and many people do these types of things. Maybe your imagination can even do a far better job than what this artist did as well, but I just wanted to put something up, something in the ballpark of maybe what Daniel saw. It wasn't just a single frame thing. It was, he saw many, he saw full motion, whatever you'd call that, Um, but this might be about what it looks like. And so remember that this is a vision, and when God speaks in visions, symbols are often used. This is not isolated to the book of Daniel. You'll find this many places in Scripture. And so if you're reading in the book, any any book of the Bible, and you come across imagery, just know that those images and those symbols mean something. Similar to a good example might be Jesus when he tells parables. The parable of the sower goes out to sow some seed, falls by the wayside, the birds of the air snatch it up so that some seed falls by the rocky ground and it springs up real quick, but the sun burns it up because it has no depth in it. Some falls among the thorns, it's choked out. Others fall on good ground and produces a crop. Jesus isn't talking about agriculture here, and he goes and explains later that this is the word of God. The seed is the word of God, and there is bad ground that the seed falls on. Some people it's snatched away by the devil. Some people cannot stand the persecution that comes, and they fall away. They believe until it gets difficult. Some people, they're concerned with the cares of the world. They love the Lord. They have this kind of uh, emotional expression, but soon finances, money, popularity, things of the world begin to choke that out. And next thing you know, they're serving a false God as opposed to God. And then there's the good ground, obviously, various responses, but a good harvest. And so we're in a place now where we're going to see some imagery. And we're going to see some of this through the book of Daniel. And I just want to kind of prepare you for the weeks to come so that you're not lost and just say, why are we talking about rams and goats and these types of things? These things have meaning, which I hope to help you with today. So the ram, this means Medo-Persia. And I'll just kind of spill the beans right now. We're going to find this out later in verse 20. But this is the Medo-Persian Empire, the empire that follows immediately after the Babylonian Empire. We have the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? There's more info. How many horns were on this ram? One longer than the others. Two horns, one longer than the other. This is very specific prophecy, and it means something. Far before the Medo-Persian Empire ever comes... God is saying that there's going to be a ram with two horns. One is longer than the other. It's not for nothing. One horn longer than the other. 
Medo-Persian Empire. One empire consisting of two kingdoms, but the second that came up last is actually longer, more powerful. The Persian Empire, more powerful. Even though it's one empire, it's really two joined, and Persia is more powerful than the Median Empire. And so this is very specific. And so when God is giving prophecy and image and symbols and imagery, I want you to just not kind of dismiss it. Because God is conveying something. Again, very specific details. Now, the reason that we know all of these details, if you look with me just at verse 2, and maybe a little bit of verse 3, watch how many times Daniel is paying attention. It says, I looked in the vision. And while I was looking, Daniel, you just told us that. He wants us to know he's paying attention. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam, and I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Uli Canal. Then I lifted my eyes and looked. Some of you might need to be reminded of this, that when God is speaking, you look, you pay attention. You set your mind to the things that God is speaking to you. Sometimes people are exposed to all sorts of truth of God, but they're not looking, they're not paying attention, their eyes are closed, they're distracted, they're paying attention to other things. Satan is throwing things into your mind to distract you so that you're not paying attention. But Daniel says, I have my eyes fixed in this vision. I wanted to see what God was showing me, and I was not going to lose my attention. I was going to fix my eyes on what God had to say. And so I just want to encourage you as well, not just for this sermon's sake, but just generally in your Christian walk that I pray that all of you pay attention when God is speaking, when God speaks to you, when you're sitting down with his word, when when the Lord is just bringing people into your life telling you, hey, you might be walking on the wrong path, pay attention. Don't just close your eyes. Don't just dismiss things. Look like Daniel looked in his vision. But the specificity of this prophecy... Daniel looked and he paid attention to it. He sees a ram with two horns, the second longer. Again, very specific. And when God speaks, I want you guys to know that history corresponds. History submits. So we'll talk more about that in a minute, but let's look at verses 5 through 8. So it says this, When I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface, which was in the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram, and he was enraged at him, and he struck the ram and shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength with which to stand against him. So we hurled him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was none to rescue him from his power." Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. But as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So we're moving on to the next creature. Daniel has already seen the ram. Now he sees a goat. Goat making war with the ram. And so we know that the ram is Medo-Persia. He sees a goat. And that means something as well. Verse 21 tells us that this is the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great. And I'll show you an image of what he might have seen, something in the ballpark of it. But just like the ram represented the Medo-Persian Empire, the goat represents 
the Greek Empire. And we're still in the history lesson class of it. We're going to get past this, but I just want to paint some picture for you because, again, this is important. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows it all. Far before the Medo-Persian Empire arose, God knew it. Far before the Greek Empire arose, God knew it. And so here's where the date that I wanted to give you earlier was important. Does anybody remember what I threw out to you? 550 B.C. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. 550 B.C. And here's the reason that it's important is because in 550 B.C., Daniel is writing about the future Greek empire, which he sees in a vision, which is going to be an empire that runs swiftly, which takes over the most powerful empire in the world at the time, Medo-Persian Empire. Nobody could withstand it. It's budding westward, northward, southward. But this goat comes along and makes war with the ram and overthrows him in great victory, and there is none that can stand against him. And that's the Greek empire. Now, I want to tell you why I think this is a little bit important, because imagine if I told you in 220, 230 years, Canada is going to run the world. I don't need to say much more than that. Canada is going to rule the world and it's going to dominate everything. It won't be stopped. Canada will not be able to be stopped. That's like this prophecy. The Greek Empire existed. It wasn't an empire at this time. It was, at the time of Daniel's writing, still in the archaic time period of Greek history. In about 1100 to about 525 B.C. is a time period in Greek history called the Archaic Time Period. And in this time, there's a lot of art, a lot of music, a lot of trade. The first recorded Olympic Games were held in this time period. But there weren't many wars. When they were attacked, they could defend themselves all right, but they weren't stamping out territory. They weren't marching ahead, dominating the world. And so for Daniel to say this, it's not like you'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Obviously, that's who's going to be the next big player on the world scene. It's not like that. It's somebody that you might not expect. But again, God knows the end from the beginning. And if God says in 230 years, Canada is going to take over the world, I'm going to believe him. Even though in my flesh, I might laugh. And I think it might be like that for Daniel. He was brave enough to actually write it down and say, this is what the Lord says. The Lord says... Greece is going to take over, and there's going to be a ruler that will not be able to be stopped. More history, Alexander the Great, unstoppable, considered by most to be, many historians, the greatest man who's ever taken over the world of all time, just unstoppable in a very short period of time. His empire spread swiftly and quickly, and as soon as he was magnified at his highest point, he dies young. He dies young. So, I believe in the Word of God. I believe in the Word of God, and I want to remind you to believe in the Word of God. Even when it speaks about things that you're maybe not interested in, history stuff, I want to remind you the Word of God is true. Not just with spiritual things, not just with things that have to do with my worship to God, but even in historical things. When God speaks about science, I want to listen. When God speaks about history, I want to listen. And I want to have the Word of God have some elbow room in your worldviews because a lot of times the Christians are told, believe in the Bible only within it comes in your like small little t- framework. 
Somebody was just messaging me this morning, the church and the state, they should be separate. Whoever said that, I disagree with. Jesus said the church is never going to be silent. We're not silent. I'm not going to be silent about political stuff, about moral stuff. We speak. The state better get used to the church speaking into it because I don't care what Thomas Jefferson or whoever it was that said the church, separation of the church and state. Jesus says the church needs to speak into the state. We need to be an influence in the world and we need to uphold the truth of God. The state better get used to us speaking. But not only that, history classes. I'm not going to say the, the Bible is, is not really welcome in my history class. The Bible, God knows history far better than man does. God knows science. When the science says, oh yeah, okay, we'll, we'll handle the science stuff and we'll let the Bible kind of sit on the backdrop when it comes. We'll, we'll tell you what we'll let the Bible speak into. We as the church say, no, the Bible speaks into science far better than any man can ever speak into anything. And so we uphold the word of God in all areas, not just in the things that the society says, hey, we'll let you have, have your little Bible studies about this and that. The Bible speaks into all of it. And so I just want to reinforce and reinvigorate you to say, I can trust the Word of God always. And I hope that you, church, will cling to the Word, the Word, the Word in all areas of your life. When God speaks, history complies. When God speaks, history complies. Philosophies change, ideologies change. Earthly teachings change. Your science books change. What was now 100 years ago, 150 years ago, seen as bedrock, unshakable science is laughed at now. What do you think they're going to be doing 150 years ago about everything that is steadfast in your scientific books now? All of these change, but the Word of God stays the same forever and ever. And so I just want to remind you of a couple things that you can cling to on account of this. When God says that He is always with us, Jesus says, Go preach the gospel to all the nations, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always, wherever you go, even to the end of the age. I just want you to cling to that, that the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ is with his people always, everywhere we go, and we can cling to that truth. The truth of the world will tell you otherwise, but I don't care what that says. I cling to the truth of God that my Lord is with me always, and I can trust in that. When God says that there is an eternity to think about, that there is a heaven, new heaven, new earth, and there is a hell, a place where God's wrath is poured out against sinners, do I say, I don't want to believe that? I say, I'm going to hold fast to that truth because God has spoken truthfully, and I cling to his truth. There is eternity to think about. This world, this life is so small. It's like a vapor. It says in the Bible, it says it's like a blade of grass which is shining forth right now. Tomorrow it's in the fire. Some of you young folks, people said that to me when I was younger. I didn't believe them. I'm like, yeah, I got a long life ahead of me. You get a little older and you're like, dang, things go quickly. Things go quickly. Your flower will fade. But the word of God stands forever and ever and ever and ever. And I want you to remember that there's an eternity to think about. I want you to remember that the gospel is accomplishing its purposes. We sang the darkness, all of the darkness can't drown out a single word. God's word never returns void. And if you feel overwhelmed, you feel like we're not accomplishing anything, you say, I want to just give up. 
I'm preaching the gospel. It's not doing any good. People are just laughing at me. I'm causing more trouble than good. Just know that the gospel is accomplishing its purposes. And so when you speak, I want you to speak with that confidence that the authority of God says his word is coming forth from the church as the ambassadors of the good news, and it's not going to return void. Always speak forth his truth. Always speak forth his truth. Not just because we are compelled to do it because of some motives. It's because God said it. And his word is true. And what else can I cling to but his word? Last thing I just want you to remember, and there's many things we could, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. When God says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual rulers in dark places, I want you to remember that you're not fighting against the human being who's giving you a hard time at your work, in your job. Even our political you know, rulers, I'm like, they're demonically influenced, but I'm not mad at them. I hate the evil that they represent, that they're in bondage to. People are in bondage, and I'm in a spiritual battle, and I have spiritual weapons to fight spiritual battles. Um, those things are free in this, but I just wanted to remind you of some things that when God speaks, it's true. And I want you to cling to it, church. I want you to hold fast to the word of God. You always are tempted to hold fast to something else. Hold fast to the word of God because it's unchanging, never changing, eternal. God's word is true. Now, um, so we have the ram. We have the goat. I want to talk more about the goat, and this kind of, I think, will wrap up the history lesson portion of it. But after Alexander the Great, after Alexander the Great dies, history tells us, it's confirmed by history, not that I needed history textbooks, but they confirm what the Word of God has already told us, that after Alexander the Great passes, his four generals take over the Greek Empire. And on his deathbed, it's said that Alexander the Great says, there he's asked, who's going to take your place to rule your empire? And his words are, the strongest. The strongest. Not much specificity. Of course, each four general is probably going to be like, well, I'm the strongest. I'll take it. No, oh, you're the strongest? No, I'm the strongest. No, oh, no, oh, who's going to take it? It's split up into four different sections. His four generals take the Greek Empire, which had taken over the whole known world at the time, and it's split up into four winds, which is exactly what Daniel chapter 8 and verse 8 says. Again, more specificity. It says this, Then the male goat magnified himself. This is the Greek Empire, ruled by Alexander the Great. Magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken. And in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Just more stuff for you to trust the word of God that 225 years before the Greek empire ever became a, a, a figure on the world scene. God knew it. He spoke it. He says it's going to happen. He ordained it. And he says it with great specificity. And so I just want you to trust again in his word um, as our focus for today's message is really just the truth of God. I want you to be people, I want us to be people of God's word who cling to God's truth. So look with me at the next section here. Um, as we move on, it says this. 
Verse 9, it says, Now out of one of them came a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the, sore, uh, toward the east, toward the beautiful land, and it grew up to the host of heavens and called some of them, uh, caused some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. It even magnified himself to be equal with the commander of hosts, and it removed regular sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down, and on account of the transgressions, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice, and it will fall fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply and the transgression that causes horror so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. And so there's a whole lot that we could talk about here for the sake of time. I'm not going to mention a lot of the stuff that I wanted to say, but we have Antiochus Epiphanes, another historical figure about 170 B.C. We have him slaughtering a pig in the temple, 2,300 days of persecution, the beginning of Hanukkah. You could look into these things. We could talk about them. But since the theme of our sermon is truth and God's truth, I just wanted to focus in on verse 12 with you. And look at verse 12 with me again. We just read it. It says, On account of transgressions, the host will be given over to the horn along with regular sacrifice. And what will it do? It will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. It will fling truth to the ground. Truth being flung to the ground, we reject it, we don't want it, we hate God's truth, we don't want to hear anything about it, let's fling it to the ground, let it hit the ground as quickly as possible in the world. I want you to hear me, church, the world always wants to fling God's truth to the ground, constantly. There might be little bits and pieces here that say, oh, we'll, allow, we'll allow that to, to kind of make its way into the mainstream. But by and large, the truth of God, we want to reject that. We want to fling it to the ground, we want to fling it to the ground, we want to fling it to the ground. And this is very similar to what Jesus says in John chapter 3. And I just want to look at that real quick with you. John chapter 3, right after the famous John 3, 16. We'll start in verse 19. Jesus said this, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The world loves God's truth about as much as a cockroach likes a light being turned on. They scatter. They run away from it. They hate the light. Jesus said it. They don't want their evil deeds exposed. Flinging God's truth to the ground constantly. And I put this little saying together. While the world flings, we cling. When the world flings God's truth to the ground, we cling to the truth of God. And I want us to be, again, a people that cling to the truth of God. Don't be like the world and just pick and choose, throwing certain things to the ground. We cling to all of it. We cling to his word. His word is truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> this is very instrumental, especially for the church. Paul says this. Um, he says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And listen, the pillar and the support of the truth. 
The pillar and the support of the truth. And we've talked about this before. A pillar holds something up. The, the pillar is not the thing itself. It holds the thing up. We are not the truth, but we hold up the truth in a dark world. A pillar holds things up, and when a pillar falls, truth gets flung to the ground. But we as the church need to be constant and steadfast, holding up the truth of God before a world that hates it. The world hates it. And Aaron and her. What did they do to Moses' arms when his arms got tired? They held him up. His arms were up and they were winning the battle. But as his arms got weary, they began losing the battle. And I believe that's the church. When we stop holding up the truth of God before the world, when we stop and our arms get weary and our arms get tired, we got to remind each other, hold up the truth of God, brother. Hold up the truth of God, sister. Don't get weary. Don't let truth get flung to the ground. If the church isn't speaking the truth, who is going to? We hold up the truth of God before a world that always, always wants to fling it to the ground. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 7, the world cannot hate you to his brothers, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Hatred's coming, persecution's coming. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. We will receive persecution. They hated Jesus because he testified of it that its deeds are evil. When you hold up the truth, it's a stumbling block to those who are in sin. But we call them to repent. We call them to the love and the grace and the mercy of God and say, if you turn from sin, he will save you. He will forgive you. He will bind up your wounds. He'll rescue you. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Look with me at the next little section here in Daniel chapter 8, 15 through 17. It says, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought to understand it, I behold, uh, and behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of the man between the banks of the Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. So here we see the standard protocol for what you're supposed to do if you see an angel. You fall down on your face like a dead person. So what everybody does when they see angels, if it happens, I just want to let you know what you'll probably do. When you see an angel, um, this is the first mention of Gabriel in the entire Bible. Gabriel's delivering a message, as he always does, messenger angel. And he came to give Daniel understanding. Look with me at verse 18 and 19. It says, Now when he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep, but my face... Uh, with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand upright. And he said, Behold, I am going to let you know what will occur at the period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. I feel like Daniel here. Have you ever seen videos of people who are in those like amusement park rides that get like sucked back and then they get launched into the air while a camera is right there and you can just see them freaking out. They're trying to figure out everything that's going around them and then all of a sudden they inevitably pass out and that's when we all laugh because they're just completely passed out because of the craziness of what they're experiencing. And then they come back to, they're trying to figure things out, then they pass back out again. I feel like that's Daniel in this vision here. He's just like falling down. He puts his hand on him. He stands up. Then he falls into a deep sleep. He's trying to figure out everything that he is seeing. This is an intense vision. We read it and it's like, okay, a ram, a goat, cool. This is an intense vision causing a visceral reaction in Daniel. And the vision, as Gabriel says, it pertains to the time of the end. So I just want to give a quick footnote here. There are a couple views. One that says that Pertaining to the time of the end means literally the time of the end right before Jesus Christ returns. 
these events are going to happen. The problem with this is that we've already learned this is Greece, and Greece was about 160 years before the time of Jesus. So what does he mean by that? That could be a problem with that view. Some people respond to that by saying, well, double fulfillment. There's a near fulfillment of the prophecy, but then there's also a distant one, similar to when a virgin shall give birth, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That literally happened in the days of Isaiah, but that was the near fulfillment, but there was a future fulfillment that was far greater than that virgin or the young maiden who would give birth to a child. Matthew says, no, this is talking about Jesus. He's the greater fulfillment of that. Another view that rejects that view and says, no, this is the end of time, meaning the end of this age. Right before Jesus comes, he ushers in a new age. And so this is talking about the end of the age. A couple views. Take one, leave the other. Do what you want with that. But I just wanted to bring those before you for your attention, um, that there are differences of opinion in how that verse is taken. Um, So Daniel chapter 8. We're going to kind of move along quickly. We're going to look at verses 20 through 26, and it says this. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms, which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power, and he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will and he will destroy mighty men and the holy people and through his shrewdness he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence and he will magnify himself in his heart and he will destroy many while they are at ease he will even oppose the prince of princes but he will be broken without human agency the vision of the evenings and the mornings which has been told is true but keep the vision secret for it pertains to many days in the future We have a little horn here. We saw a little horn in Daniel chapter 7 coming out of the Roman Empire. We see a little horn coming out of the Greek Empire causing devastation, causing harm to God's people, causing great deception, blaspheming God. They magnify themselves as though they are God. They appear to be very successful in the world, but all of them are destroyed by the presence of the Lord. And so, as the church, as we potentially gear up for more persecution, or whether it's just going to remain as it is, or maybe it'll get lighter, whatever it is, I pray that we would be a people that would stand, because there are brothers and sisters around the world who are being slaughtered throughout history, and it's prophesied about. It's always occurring in the world where church, the church is experiencing hardship, but may you not grow weary. May we continue to uphold the truth of God, and may we speak forth his word always and forever, um, always and forever. So the last thing I want to say is this, um, verse 27. It says, Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Remember, this is not just a, a chapter like we read it and then I can go about my business, go hang out with my friends and family. Daniel was not able to do that because of the, how vivid 
this dream was. Daniel was exhausted and he was sick for days. He says, then I got up and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision and there was none to explain him. I just want to say that Sometimes when there's vision, when there's prophecy, there's talk about end times, we can get all caught up in these things and say, hey, man, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be awesome, man. I mean, intense times, you know, all this stuff. This is terrifying, Daniel. He's terrified. He's sick for days. And sometimes when we get caught up in the eschatology and the talks and the Antichrist, you're like, oh, well, let's make a movie about it. Let's see how cool. It's going to be terrifying. The church of God will always stand, and by his grace, we will always be victorious. But at the same time, let's not get caught in the sensationalism of, there's a way to say that better than I just said that, but let's not get caught up in how sensational it's made out to be because it's a time of great sorrow. When the people of God are dying, but the blood of the church is always the seed of the church. When we die, it's not like victory has not been happening. God is always victorious, and he's always bringing about his purposes constantly, constantly, constantly. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for this congregation enduring and sitting um, with me for this time to look at this chapter and look at the word. Um, And I pray that you would impart to each of our hearts um, everything that you would have us learn and know. Um, Father, just by your Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts through this passage? Um, Help us to cling to your word primarily. Your word is truth. May you sanctify us in the truth because your word is exactly that, God. And we want to be a people that always cling to your word. We love you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. Bless all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.